0: This summer at Holy Cross, we are diving into the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at the different types of Psalms and the themes that are contained in this book as a whole. We especially want you to learn about how we as believers can relate to the emotions in the Psalms and learn to pray through those in your everyday life. Join us now as we unpack another Psalm. Lord, thank you this morning as we come to your scriptures. We pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Come and open our minds. Come and open our hearts. Come, Lord, and fill my words and open the Scriptures to us. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today we're beginning a new sermon series called Let's Be Honest, Praying the Psalms. And we're going to spend the majority of the summer working our way through the Psalms. And I'm really excited about it because we've never actually kind of preached our way through the book of Psalms. Now, if you know anything about Psalms, you know there are 150 of them, so we're probably not going to get to all of them. As a joke. We're not going to get to all of them, (laughs) at least not this summer. But what we're going to do is we're going to, to look at a sampling of the different genres or categories of Psalms so that we might get a real deep feel for this book and what they mean for us today. So I want to just kind of start at a high level, a little bit of an orientation to the Book of Psalms, and then we'll dive into Psalm 1, uh, which we heard read for us just a moment ago. So the Book of Psalms is part of what the Bible calls the wisdom literature, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And the wisdom literature, it's generally more poetic And it's more contemplative, which means that it's really helpful for our devotional lives. It's really helpful for our confession of who God is and and who we are to the Lord. It's different than, say, the narrative and historical writings like the Gospels, right? It's just got a whole different feel. And the reason for that is because the book of Psalms is basically poetry. These are poems... Uh, written by different Hebrew authors over the course of several hundred years, including people like King David and King Solomon, that has been compiled and was turned by the Hebrew people from poetry alone and into prayers and into songs. And so you're going to see what's called parallelism all throughout the book of Psalms. Parallelism means that the same idea will get repeated multiple times and from different angles. And often the way the psalms set things up is also in contrast. So you'll get one idea contrasted with another. And the reason for that is to sort of take these deep things and and ground them into our hearts so we really get them. And so this book, which was comprised, is basically God's inspired hymn book or God's inspired prayer book. And so individuals, both in the people of Israel and through the church and groups of people, first in the temple, then in the synagogue and then in churches, have used the Psalms for prayer and for song to ground deeply within us the things of God. Now, the the book of Psalms itself is arranged into five books. And at the end of each of those five books, there's a doxology. There's a praise to God. And then Psalm 150, which is the last of the Psalms, is a doxology for the whole book. And so it sort of wraps everything up into praise for the God that we were singing about, who is worthy, who is worthy of our praise and of our lives. And the thing about the Psalms that, that's so amazing is they're so true to life, right? Like the Psalms meet us where we live and where we move, and they deal with all the breadth of emotions and experiences that we have. This is what Elizabeth Canham writes in Finding Your Voice in the Psalms. She says this, Jewish and Christian worshipers derive comfort, hope, encouragement, and joy from these ancient prayers, but also find a way to cry out through them in anger, in fear, and even in doubt over the power and goodness of God. Through the Psalms, God's people have wept together, celebrated victory, danced, made music, lamented, and that's a big theme in the songs. Why is it going hard for us? Lament. And of course, God's people have found their hope in Yahweh, in God himself. Jewish and Christian people alike have cherished the Psalms as a means of praying with integrity. Like they help us to pray and to approach God. And that's why we've called this series, Let's Be Honest, Praying the Psalms. Because what the Psalms do is they actually give you and me permission to be right where we are with God. The idea is to move us out of this fear-based sort of religious thing where God is far away and to invite God into every part of our lives, into the highs and the lows, into the good and the bad, into the places that we're delighted in and the places that we lament over deeply. The great thing, though, is that the Psalms aren't just about us. There's really solid theology a right? really solid understanding about God that can be derived from them. This is what Tim Keller writes in his book, The Songs of Jesus. He says, Psalms anticipate and train you for every possible spiritual, social, and emotional condition. They show you what the dangers are, what you should keep in mind, what your attitude should be, how to talk to God about it, and how to get from God the help you need. Most of all, the Psalms, when combined with faith, they bring us to Jesus. I mean, think about this. Jesus sang the Psalms and Jesus prayed the Psalms. And it's very likely that he had most of these Psalms memorized, hidden away in his heart. And of course, He speaks them and teaches from the book of Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. So like this is a way to get very close to the heart of Jesus, to know him and to be with him, to know God's love deeply. So let's start at Psalm 1. It's the entry point to the book. It's really a, a psalm that combined with Psalm 2 sets the stage for the whole book. In Psalm 1, we hear about different kinds of people. Psalm 2, we hear about the king, right? God's son, the Messiah, who's going to bring justice to the world. And so let's do this. Let's, let's read it together. That one's harder to read, I think, but I'll try it anyway. Let's read it together so we can hear it, and so we can see it, and so we can be with it, with one another. Here we go. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Maybe just back that up and maybe, there we go, that'll go away in the process. So we're going to look at this psalm. Did did you notice right out of the gates that, that it sets up a contrast? Remember I said there's a lot of parallelism, but there are also comparisons and contrasts that you see in the psalms. And right away, we see a contrast between those who orient themselves and their lives on God over against those who do not. The Bible tells us that there are really only two kinds of people in the world. In this case, they're called the righteous and the wicked or sinners. Sometimes they're called the wise or the foolish. When you get to the New Testament, people are said to be in Christ or outside of Christ. And as a seminary professor of mine said, within those two categories of people, there are two positions. So that you can be outside of Christ, but moving toward him. Or you can be outside of Christ and moving away from him. Or you can be in Christ and moving toward him. You can be in Christ and moving away from him. Two basic categories of people, two basic conditions, right, or statuses with relation to him. Verse 1 says, blessed is the man. Now, this is, this is just supposed to be comprehensive. A lot of the translations say blessed is the person. Blessed are those. It's not about male or female here. This is both for men and women. Blessed is the person. Blessed are they, the person who is focused on God. And that word blessed really could mean happy. It's different from sort of like, oh, things are going my way. You know, I'm happy today. It's different than the kind of adrenaline rush, right, that things can buy. Oh, I feel happy. Things are good. Things are solid right now. It is really more about a long-term, steady, steady happiness. A direction of life based upon relationship with God that is more like contentment moving into joy. There's a steadiness to it. It's not the up and down of emotion, per se. It's a steady progress with the Lord that comes through friendship with God. Happy is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Do you see progression again, right? First you walk, then you stand, and then you sit, right? So so once you start taking in the things of the world, listening to the counsel of those who are opposed to God, it's only a matter of time before you follow in their way. You walk according to their ways, and as you do that long enough, then eventually you find yourself standing there with them. And eventually you're seated in a lifestyle that's so far away from God, you become a scoffer, completely skeptical of the things of God and of the word of God. Now, you'll know that you've done this or that you're moving in that direction when you look at your life and you realize like there's no difference from the people around you. You're just like all the kids in the school. You're just like everyone at your office. You're just like all those in the world around you, chasing after the same things that the people in your neighborhoods are chasing after. And so, what does it look like? Well, like being proud and angry is okay, hating people who are different from you, like that's normal. And, of course, we saw a lot of that in this last political cycle and in this last year, right? Despising those whose politics are different and, and tearing them down, whether in social media or behind their backs. Full of lust, full of greed, not being the first to say I'm sorry, never forgiving those who have harmed you not needing to fast or pray or give away money or go to church, being ambitious for self. That's how you know you're starting to sit in the seat, right? Starting to have a lifestyle that's just like the world. Like when someone does you wrong, is your first response to retaliate and to criticize and defend? Or is it be quick to forgive and slow to speak and slow to get angry? That's how you begin to discern the condition of your heart. Um... This last year, probably the counsel I gave more people than anything else was turn off the news. Not because news isn't important. It's because the fruit that it was bearing in so many people's lives. Like when you're sitting there all day and you can't go out and there's all this fear, right? And what's coming in, whether you're on the left or on the right, what what did it produce? Did it produce joy and peace and goodness? Or did it produce fear and anger and like... Discussed about those people, those people, whichever direction that's pointing. and so I said to so many people, oh, you've got to, you've got to turn it down, turn it off, discern, discern, listen. Psalmist says that's not where happiness, where blessedness is to be found. The happy person walks not in those ways. Instead, verse two says, their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. Now, the law here is not just the Ten Commandments. It's not even simply the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. The law here really refers to all of God's ways, all of God's teaching. It's the scriptures. Blessed is the person who delights in what God says. Not because you have to, not because you're afraid of punishment if you don't. But because love for God is in you and out of love for God, you begin to live for the Lord, loving what he says, living from I get to and I want to, not from I have to. And of course, that happens when you see what God has done for you, when you see what Jesus has done for you, the depths to which he has gone to make you his own person. To meditate on God's teaching, it says day and night. It doesn't simply mean like in the morning and in the evening, although that's a great start if you don't do that. Again, remember, we're talking about poetry here. So day and night, east and west, high and low. It's, It's talking about the breadth of life. Do you meditate on God's word throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your month, throughout your year, throughout your life? You see, it's meant to be this rhythm of response, this life of allowing God to shape the way you think. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his book called Eat This Book. It's a conversation in the art of spiritual reading. He says meditation is like a dog chewing on a bone. If you've ever seen a dog really going after a bone, right? Anybody seen that? Right, that's a happy dog, right? Gnawing. And sometimes they get a little growly at times, right? They they almost sound like a cat sometimes. Almost like a purr comes out, like this happy deep thing as they're gnawing on the bone. That's meditation. It's not just I have to read this stuff because it's good for me. It's it's beginning to delight in to savor what God has to say. It's been described often, this idea of meditation, as chewing the cud. And that's actually the root word behind this word to meditate. If you know anything about cows, maybe there aren't too many cow farmers here today, but like cows can actually recall the food that they have eaten two or three times. So they're chewing on grass, they swallow it, they're able to bring it back up, and they chew on it again, they swallow it, they bring it back up. And what they're doing is they're getting every bit of nutrient out of what they've eaten. And so, the psalmist says, is the blessed person, the happy person, like the dog gnawing on the bone or like the cow that's getting all the nutrients out of what they've eaten. So is the person who meditates on the things of God, who allows them to shape their thinking and to shape their lives. Now, one of the things that you see uh, with like religious cults, religious cults talk about meditation in terms of emptying your mind. But God always says, no, 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 quiet yourself and then fill your mind with my words. Allow them to kind of float around inside of you, to allow yourself to think on them repeatedly throughout the day. What's so beautiful about that is you don't have to be religious to do that. Like, you don't have to get in a posture. You can do it this way. Like, okay, so you could be meditating on your knees before the Lord. You know what? You can meditate chewing on the Word while you're doing the dishes. Mowing the lawn became joyful to me when I started to meditate on the Word. Because it wasn't just empty space. I wasn't just going over all that junk, right, of the week behind, all the people I was mad at. No, 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 no. I began to allow God's Word to shape me. And what happens when you do that is it becomes this launching out place. To a deep conversation and prayer. To a deep conversation and prayer. So this summer, we'll look at different psalms. And what I hope you'll do um, is that you'll find some verses as we're going through them on Sundays. And you'll go, oh, that's one I think I ought to meditate on this week. A phrase, a verse, maybe in your life groups. Some of our life groups, will be reading them ahead of time. And then they hear them as they come into church on Sunday. But allowing some of those words to, to get in you and to fill your mind. I, I think of a few that we'll be touching on this summer. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. Right? I'm telling my soul, remember to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord and forget not all of his benefits. And then there's a whole host of them that are listed. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in times of trouble. And it goes on, be still. I know that I, that he is God. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And it it goes forward. Like allowing that to shape your thinking. Allowing that to be a launching pad for your prayer life. Now, Tim Keller says this. Knowing how to meditate on and delight in the Bible is the secret to a relationship with God and to life itself. What happens is that views contrary to God's word get washed away and dispelled because they are no anchor when you're in a time of need. And, and I hear these sorts of things that creep into the church and creep into to Christian people all the time. These sort of folklore type sayings, these, these false notions that don't hold you when life gets hard. Things like, well, God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. Not helpful. Because what happens when you can't help yourself? Does that mean God doesn't help you? Well, of course not. See? What about when, God forbid, a child dies and you hear people say, well, God just needed another little angel in heaven. Bad theology. Not the Lord. The Psalms actually speaks into those sorts of things. So that we know how to deal with life when it hits. You know what I mean? When life hits. Like, we want to be ready when the hardship comes. Not scrambling when it arrives. We want to be able to have within us all that we need walk through life blessedly happy peaceful doesn't mean it's always going to go your way but but knowing how to engage it with the Lord that's actually what maturity is all about in our faith lives verse 3 says this the psalmist says the person who delights in God's word who meditates on them regularly and continually, They're like a tree that's planted by streams of water, right? This is an image we all get. A tree that never gets any water, well, it dies. The tree that's planted near a stream of water that allows its roots to go down in, it constantly has what it needs, right? There's this constant supply of life so that it yields its fruit in season. It yields its fruit. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does or all that she does... They prosper, but the psalmist says, "Not so the wicked, not so the sinner." Now, most people don't like to think of themselves as wicked or sinners. It's probably not the best way to like greet your your dinner guests. Hey, are you among the wicked? You know that's probably not going to go over so well. But here's the thing: the Bible, the Bible speaks to us not according to what we want, but according to what we need, based in reality. Remember I said there're two categories or types of people in the world. Right? You've got the righteous and the wicked, the righteous and sinners, the wise and the foolish, those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. And so the scripture speaks speaks truly to who we are. And when we go our own way, even though it might look like we're succeeding, The psalmist tells us our lives end up like chaff, just blown in the wind. There's destruction. There's nothing lasting or ultimate about that. And in the end, we end up facing judgment. Now, this is not just an Old Testament like wrath of God thing. Jesus talked about this and that gospel lesson I read from Matthew 7, right? He says there are the wise builders who build their house upon a rock and there are the foolish builders who build their houses on sinking sands. The storm comes in both of their lives. One stays steady and one falls. Similarly, he says there's a narrow way and a few people walk in it and there's a broad road that leads to destruction and many go there. Many, many people go there and in the end, in the end, there is judgment. Thomas psalmist says it this way in verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Notice it says the Lord knows. And in that parable I read, Jesus says, I don't know you. Uh, There's a story I heard about a woman who was in church, and she was sitting up front, and she was grieving. And the pastor noticed it. He knew that her husband had recently died. And so after, like, the service was over and all the people left, he just went and sat with her and sat by her side. And, And he said, Mary, you must be missing Ted terribly. And she says, well, I am. But that's not really why I'm crying. he said, well, what is it? She said, well, I've come to realize something. That after 35 years of marriage, I never really knew him. Think about that. Like courtship, and marriage, and children, and hardships, and teenage years, and then sending them off to college, and then them getting married. And at the end of all that, All she could say is, I never really knew him. Jesus says there are people who will say, Lord, Lord, but he doesn't really know them. Don't be among those. The invitation that he gives and the good news that we have is that Jesus is the one perfect and blessed man. He is the one who always walked in the Lord's way, who never went the way of the sinner's never sat in that place and he stands at the crossroad where those two ways meet that narrow road and that broad road he says if you come through me if i know you and you know me then you're on the road of the righteous you have no fear no need to fear the judgment and so when we come to him in faith, when we recognize what he's done for us, when we, when we see this incredible gift he's given us in the cross, in his resurrection, what it does, the scripture tells us, is it changes our hearts. See, it's an inside thing, not an outside thing. It gives us what's called a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And God starts to write his law within us. He starts to write His ways upon us. And we're told that the Spirit comes to live with us, inside of us. A river of living water to bear fruit for us, the fruit of His Spirit. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I might have missed one in there. For our sake? Well, yes, but also for the sake of the people around us and for a world that's desperate to know is he real does he love me can god be trusted can i be forgiven let's pray blessed is the woman blessed is the man blessed is the girl blessed is the boy lives and walks with you, Lord, who you know, Jesus, and who knows you, would you make us people who delight in you, who delight in your word, who meditate like the dog chewing on the bone, like the cow chewing the cud. Would you cause us to have within us that stream of water that causes us to bear fruit in season and out? for the sake of the world, and that your name might be glorified. Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. Amen.